0: Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. It can be found on page 1033 in your pew Bibles. I'll be reading verses uh, 1, 11 through 17. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it but it came to me through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I have advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly jealous, uh, zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. You're an honored guest, and you've encouraged us by being here, and we hope that we can encourage you. A fellow steps out of a building, and just as he steps out of the building to hail a cab, immediately the cab is there, door opening, someone exiting. He just slides right in. The cabbie turns around and says, just like Dave. Sir says, excuse me? Uh, Just like Dave. That's like Dave, the way that you were there just at the right time. That's the way everything happened in Dave's life. Oh, sounds like an interesting fella. Yeah, amazing fella. He could have played pro golf. He also could have played pro tennis. He had a beautiful baritone voice, and he played classical guitar. The one hailing the cab said, wow, he does sound like an amazing guy. But nobody has all bright days. There had to be some clouds in in his life. Oh, no. No, he had a steel trap memory. He never forgot a birthday or an anniversary. And he was a fix-it man. He could fix anything around the house, and he always kept the cars in top shape. The guy says, wow, he sounds like an amazing fella. He said, well, he was. He was also real good looking. He could get along with anyone, never met a stranger. Uh, Kind of feeling uncomfortable with the conversation, trying to close it, the guy says, well, I... I can see why you would remember a friend like that. Taxi driver says, oh, no, no, he wasn't a friend. He says, well, how do you know so much about someone like Dave? He says, I married his widow. (laughs) Comparisons are not always best. Uh, Comparisons sometimes are not good at all. But it's interesting when we look in Galatians, the first chapter, Paul does something that he has to do a few times in his writings. From time to time, he has to compare himself with others. And especially when there's been false apostles or false teachers come along, he has to compare who they are and who he is. And sometimes, as in Galatians, the first chapter, he compares who those even of Galatia are and who he is. And in this comparison, the last time we studied the book of Galatians together, you'll notice in the first half of the book, the plea was the gospel, the first half of the chapter. The plea was the gospel. And look at the gospel. You can't change the gospel and still have the gospel. But when we look to the last half of the first chapter, we see the emphasis is upon Paul being an apostle. The reason he needed to do this was probably because there had been some to come along and not only encourage them to change the gospel, but had done so by encouraging them to believe that Paul was not really an apostle. And so Paul talks to them about themselves. It's almost as if he held up a mirror and said, look where you were, and look where you are today. And then he says, let me remind you of me. They knew Paul. They knew Paul well. Paul was the one that came through and converted them. And so the things that we have just had so capably read in the Scripture reading this morning and even the following paragraph after that, he's reminding them of things that they would have already known, things that they would have already seen in the life of Paul. But you see, he's laying them out in a contrast here. He's saying, look at you guys, and look at me, and let's figure out which one really has the Gospel. Let's figure out which one is really living the and he gives a little transition verse there. Look with me, if you will, to verse 10. 10. Verse 6, 7, 8, and 9 about them. And now let's look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still... In other words, Paul says, there was a time that I was like you guys. There was a time that was my life. I was trying to please people. But he says... For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so what Paul is doing here in this text of of Galatians, the first chapter, is he is somewhat implying, hey, if you guys stay on the track you're on, you're not going to be bondservants of Christ. On the other hand, I am a bondservant of Christ. And Paul says, I want to talk to you about what's endangering your life and what has blessed my life. Let's go back and let's look at a few of the things as he held the mirror up to them. Some things that he says, I want you to think about where you've been. Let's go back now and let's read verse 6 and 7. He talks about their conversion, or at least it makes reference to the implication of their conversion. Galatians, the first chapter, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Now notice it said they had turned, uh, or you are turning away. You can't turn away from something that you haven't already approached. And so they had the gospel. Their life had been right with God. They had obeyed that pure gospel, that form of salvation that saves. And they were turning from it. But have you thought about what it was like for them to come to Christ and what it was like for Paul to take the gospel to them? Turn back, if you will, with with me to Acts the 13th chapter. In Acts the 13th chapter, in Acts the 13th chapter, we see the first missionary journey, the beginning of it. We go into the 14th chapter. The area of Galatia, if in fact the book of Galatians was written at an early date, He would have been talking to the group of individuals that would have been converted primarily out of four cities of the southern part of the area of Galatia. We can see those individuals being converted here as we read in Acts the 13th chapter. We're going to have to scan this because it would be a long reading to read about the conversions of these in all four of these areas. But note how they were converted. And it was not necessarily an easy experience for Paul or for them. In the 13th chapter in verse 13, we see that he was entering into Antioch. If you'll remember that it was just before this was when John Mark turned back and was no longer with them. So far as the sermons on the missionary journeys, and especially the first missionary journey, it's here that the most is revealed to us about what? one of Paul's sermons might have sounded like. And so we begin reading at verse 17 and following and we see his sermon. He was speaking to those individuals to bring them to see how the gospel had been in the pipeline from the Old Testament and how it was being fulfilled here in the New Testament and how Christ was the fulfilling of that prophecy and that now it's all about Christ. And so he goes over their heritage from the time that they were in Egypt and then he brings them up into their wilderness wandering and in 19 he talks about the land of Canaan. In verse 20 he talks about the judges that ruled over them. In 21 they wanted a king. and 22... David came, and this is how he's lining this up now with Christ, because it's, with, it's in the lineage of David that Jesus Christ would be born. 24, that John the Baptist had gone before preparing the way for Jesus Christ, and in 26, talking about that through Christ, is the words of salvation. Now, when he preached this sermon... He went back and used many references to the Old Testament because that was the Scriptures that they would have known and they would have loved and they would have appreciated. In verse 33, he talks about Psalms 2 and verse 7. In 34, he talks about Isaiah 55 and 3. In 35, he talks about Psalms 16 and 10. He even makes reference to Habakkuk 1 and 5 in verse 41. And at the end of this sermon, people were pretty impressed. Now, I'm sure there were some of the unbelieving Jews that would not have agreed with everything, but they left there that day, Jews and Gentiles, ready to come back the next Sabbath to hear what more that he had to say. Now, I'm sure this will happen in Mount Juliet this week. They went back, and they were so impressed with the gospel that they'd heard that every person in town was there the following time that they gathered. That's pretty good, isn't it? We're going to have over 17,000 people here next week. Can you imagine? That's what happened. Everybody in town came back to hear it. Well, now the unbelieving Jews are not so satisfied. As a matter of fact, here's how the Scripture reads. When they see that the whole town came back to hear the Word of God, verse 45 says, when the Jews saw the multitude, now this is talking about the unbelieving Jews, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. And because of this, they ended up using the prominent women in town to stir up a riot or a persecution against them. And they had to escape for their lives. And so they left Antioch, but there were still believers that they left behind. Some Jews and especially of the Gentiles. They went to Iconium. Verse chapter 14, Acts the 14th chapter, they went into Iconium. And when they went there, there had been some unbelieving Jews in verse 2 that had poisoned the minds of the Gentiles. But there were still some that would believe. And so they began to speak boldly. But I want you to note this because this ties in so closely to Acts, uh, to uh, Galatians the first chapter, when Paul is trying to convince them that he is an apostle. How would individuals convince others that their message was truly from God? This was one of the ways that God gave them at the beginning of their ministry once He ascended back into heaven to prove that His message was from God. Verse 3, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, here it is, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. We skip down two verses and we see a violent attempt was taken upon their life to stone them and to persecute them, and so they have to leave there too. But it's already been proven that they're apostles of God because of these powerful wonders and signs. Now, let me make reference real quick. Mark the 16th chapter, God gives the great, Christ gives the great commission. And then he says in 17 and 18 in Mark the 16th chapter, that they're going to be able to cast out demons and speak in tongues and take up serpents, and they will drink anything deadly. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 20, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. How did they know Paul was an apostle? They knew Paul was an apostle because he was accompanying his message with the signs that no one else could do. So they escape, sparing their lives, going down to Lystra. And as they go into Lystra, we read in verse 8 that they see a man that had been crippled from his mother's womb. He had never walked. And yet they tell him to stand up straight and walk. And he gets up walking and leaping. Immediately, the people there are so convinced that these individuals are not only messengers of God, but they thought they were gods. And we read down in 12, they thought Barnabas was Zeus, And they thought that Paul was Hermes, the messenger, in other words, the spokesperson for Zeus. They began to offer sacrifices. And they had to stop them and say, don't worship us. We're men just like you. But let us tell you about the Almighty God. And so they told them about the Almighty God. But you know what happened? Those unbelieving Jews came down from Antioch. And they came down from Iconium. And they began to work against the missionaries there, working against Barnabas and Paul. And so they had to escape again, and this time they went down into Derby. That was a conversion. When we come over to Galatians, we see that apparently the unbelieving Jews had changed their tactics. You see, at the time Paul was leaving them, their tactics was to attack Christianity in a very open and a physical way persecuting fashion but now we read in the book of Galatians apparently they'd wised up a little bit let's go in and try to get them just to change some things let's not unroot under uh, undermine the whole religion let's just get them to change the things that we want them to change and Paul's a hard guy to kill some of the verses we just scanned over We didn't touch upon the fact that one time there in that area, they actually stoned him, drug him outside the city, and thought he was dead. Hey, instead of us trying to kill Paul, let's just work against him. Let's convince everyone that he's a false apostle. Then they will not accept his gospel, and they will accept our gospel. Can you imagine the heartache that Paul must have had? when he heard that this is what had happened. To me, it is a pitiful sight to see Paul defending himself as an apostle and doing this not against the gainsaying world, but against cold-hearted members of the church. That's the words of Charles Spurgeon about this very chapter of Galatians, the first chapter. What a difficult thing for Paul to have to defend himself as an apostle to the ones that he went in and he risked his life with them, watching them obey the gospel. And now it's not the world he's fighting. It's his brothers and sisters in Christ that are saying, Paul, you're not the real thing. Paul, the gospel you brought to us isn't the real thing. And you can imagine the anger but also the tears that Paul must have shed as he had to approach this terrible situation. Brothers and sisters in Christ had forgotten what they were converted to. They had forgotten the power of the gospel. And Paul wants to remind them, I know you had it at one time. But now, let's see what they did with this. Notice their departure. Look again back at verse 6 and 7. We've seen their conversion as we looked over in Acts. Now let's look at as he addresses their departure. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. Look down in verse 7. But there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel. What we see here are individuals that are turning to please others instead of pleasing themselves. We see others that instead of pleasing God, Verse 10, that critical verse, Paul made it clear, I'm not setting about my life to persuade men, but God. I'm not setting about my life to please men, but I want to please God. And now he's talking to them and he's saying, look what you've done. You've had the gospel, but yet you allowed someone to turn you away from that gospel. When we think about the parable of the sowers, you remember there are four types of soils that the seed, which was the Word of God, entered into. You remember the soil of the thorns? The plant grew, and it appeared to do well until there were thorns that choked it out. And when we look back in Luke the 8th chapter and say, okay, what were the thorns that choked it out? It was the cares, the riches, now notice this word, and the pleasures that choked out the Word of God. We can go back to these people in Galatia and say, Hey, you are doing fine. You are growing in the gospel. Something choked you out. What choked you out? And Paul would say, You took effort, pride, joy, and accepting the pleasures of men instead of seeking the pleasure of God. What a sad day it was for Paul and what it was for those of Galatia. Let's look at the verdict. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. What was going to happen to them because of this? In verse 8 and 9, but even though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, notice this, let him be accursed. Paul uses some of the strongest language that he uses in any of his writings to those people of Galatia. And he could not have said that any more clearly. He doesn't say verse 9 because he needs to clarify anything. He states verse 9 because he wants to emphasize that very same thing. And so let's read verse 9 for emphasis sake. But as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And the word accursed means be banned or excommunicated. Paul, how serious is this? Let's see the life. Paul says, I want to hold this mirror up. You had the gospel. You started wanting to please false teachers instead of pleasing God. So you turned away from the gospel. Where does that leave you? Excommunicated. God will not tolerate someone that changes the gospel. Please note this. They were the ones responsible for understanding which one presented the true gospel. Does that ring loud and clear? That's a powerful point. They would had Paul come in and teach in a convincing way. They had had false teachers come in and teach in a convincing way. Now, Paul doesn't write on behalf or by inspiration of God and say, Listen guys, you have been put in a difficult situation. That good, loving Paul, he taught you. And then those false teachers, wow, they were so convincing. And they taught you. I can understand the predicament you're in, so I tell you what, you just do whatever feels right. Or I tell you what, you just do it and make sure that you're sincere about it. No. Some of the strongest words were written to individuals that had been confused by false teachers, and yet the individuals are being held responsible. And the same is true for the last half of this chapter. The others, had; they perhaps had presented themselves as apostles. And if so, they were presenting themselves as true apostles. Apostle Paul was presenting himself as a true apostle. Who was responsible? They were responsible to figure out what is true and what is right. I'm not the judge, and I thank God I'm not. But I don't think there's going to be many spoon-fed Christians in heaven because Satan is too busy confusing the minds of spoon-fed Christians. If you and I want to make it to heaven, we're going to have to know enough about God's Word to be able to recognize false teaching and false teachers. And so Paul says, I used to live my life pleasing men. And if I were still... Like that, verse 10, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So what did Paul do? Let's think about Paul's conversion. When we look at the first chapter in verse 15 of Galatians, he makes just a passing reference to his conversion. He says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me... Through His grace. You remember that touching story, that miraculous story in Acts the ninth chapter? You have this great persecutor of the church, Saul, and he's traveling along with his documents in hand that give him the right to go and persecute others. Do you notice that? Where did those documents come from? Did those documents that he had in his hand to persecute others, did they come from God? No, why? He's living his life now to please men. I'm going to the chief priest. I want to make sure that I'm zealous and everybody among my peers know that I'm zealous. My contemporaries know I'm zealous. I go to the chief priest. Give me my papers. I want to have right to be able to go out and persecute more Christians. Paul says, I was on my mission. I had my papers from men in hand. I was going to persuade men. I was going to please men. That's before I was a bondservant of Christ. But then something happened. The light shone down. And it was in that one conversation that he went from believing that Jesus Christ was one that blasphemed God to recognizing that he was the Son of God. And in that one conversation, he called Jesus Christ Lord. Now that's a change. That's a change. The Lord told him he needed to go and wait for three days in Damascus, and he would tell him what he must do. And Ananias went and he told him what he must do. Arise and be baptized and uh, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. They knew Paul's conversion story. They knew that he was a child of God. No doubt they'd heard that from his own mouth. But now notice what this in Galatians 1 really places the emphasis upon. Let's look back now at verse 13 and 14. In other words, now he's converted, what is he going to do? Now, as we're about to read this, I want you in your mind to to put this in contrast. They had been converted too. Paul was there when they were converted. And what did they do? Well, he's already explained to them in the previous verses. Yeah, you were converted and you turned away from it real quickly. I marvel at that. Paul says, let me tell you about myself. I was converted. What did I do? Let's look at 13 and 14. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Let's get down and read verse 23. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. Did you notice the word heard in verse 13 and the word hearing in verse 23? You heard. Our reputation preceded me, Paul says. You heard how I went about and persecuted Christians. People could hear I was coming and they would start hiding. But you know what? When I became a Christian, another reputation preceded me. Did you catch that in 23? Before Christians could even see my face, they heard something else. He's changed. He's converted. The very thing that he set out to destroy, now he seeks to build up. And that's the faith in Jesus Christ. You see what he's doing? Verbally, he's grabbing the Galatians by their shoulders. And he's saying, wait a minute. You heard it, and you believed it, and now you've left it. And you're saying, I'm the false apostle, and I'm the one that believed it, and not only have I stayed with it, my reputation everywhere I go is. He is a Christian. He's building it up. Friends, Paul isn't trying to build the stack higher for him to stand on and say, look at me. He's trying to get them to look at them. How can you turn away from a gospel that was delivered by a genuine apostle when that gospel you've turned to is just a message from false teachers? Brethren, today, how can we have the gospel sitting in our shelves, in our dashboards of our cars, in our bookcases and listen to false teachers and say, Wow, that's really encouraging. Wow, I've never thought about that that way. That's great stuff. And I just wonder how many times Paul would be saying, Why have you perverted the gospel? Why are you listening to false teachers? Why? 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 Why should we be concerned? We should want the same thing in our life that Paul wanted in his life. And we close with this one short verse. Look at 24. Oh, it's so beautiful. He tells their story. He tells his story. And then notice, why, Paul? Why do you do this? And he says in 24, and they glorified God in me. Paul says, when people see my life, They don't glorify Paul. They glorify God. And that's what Jesus asked every one of us to do. The great sermon on the mount. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Friends, folks are watching us. Folks are wondering, what's it about? And we have the opportunity to teach people the gospel of Jesus by the way we live. We have the opportunity to be the real deal a faithful Christian. We have the opportunity to send conflicting messages. Yeah, I believe a little bit of Christianity, but I also believe in a little bit of me. Let's look at that last verse again. For do I persuade men? Note this word persuade. It is an interesting word. It carries with it an aspect of friendship in its root meaning. It carries with it an aspect of friendship joined with obedience and yielding. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He says, are you going to form a friendship with mankind and yield your ways to them? Or are you going to form a friendship with God and yield your ways with Him? Paul says, I've traveled that route of taking my documents from religious men that turned me against my Lord and Savior, and I'm not traveling that route again. If I still traveled that route, I wouldn't be a bondservant today. And if you still traveled that route, you would be a bondservant today. Notice the word, please. Or do I seek to please? What approval do we want? Approval of men? Approval of God. Paul knew. He was a bondservant because he made changes. He knew they could have been a bondservant, but they're making the wrong changes. This morning. I guess the lesson could be summed up. A very simple fashion. The Lord's never designed Christianity for you and I to depend upon others, to learn it, to practice it. There comes a time when we have to stand on our own feet and do our own study. Look down the depths of who we are and make our own convictions all because we want to be friends with God. We want to please God. And we want to be a servant of God. of Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul loved those people of Galatia. It must have broke his heart to see them turn away. God loves us. And it must break his heart if we turn away. But Isn't it wonderful that that same God has His open arms and He's calling us home. He's calling us to do right. He's calling us to live for Him. He's calling for us to have our story of conversion so that we can live that faithful life, so that we can urge others to glorify God. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, or if you have, but yet you have strayed from that. You know, Paul wasn't writing to those of Galatia to say, there's no hope for you. He was writing to urge them to turn back. Friends, we've all been at a point in our life where we needed to turn back. And if you're at that point this morning where you need to turn back to God, if we can help you in any way it comes, we stand as we sing.